Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, welcome, everyone. We are continuing our series Firm Foundation, where we've been looking at some building blocks to uh, help us in our relationship with the Lord. And if this is your first time with us, you're kind of coming in halfway through the movie. Uh, In fact, it's exactly halfway through the 12-week series. So real quick, I'm going to get you up to speed. Here are the things that we've talked about in week one. We talked about the Bible, and each week we had a main idea, a main point. And week one, the main idea on the Bible was don't read the Bible, let the Bible read you. Let the Bible read you. In other words, don't just view it as something to check off but actually pray that God would speak to you through his word. Week two, Dr. Kent Duncan from the district office came and shared on the topic of the the Sabbath rest, which still applies today. And his main idea was rest is God's plan for you and God's promise for you. Week three, we talked about the church and the main idea was the church started as a movement and it's still moving today. Week four was prayer. Kyle talked about prayer and his main idea was pray always, and always. Then last week we talked about worship, and the main idea was worship is love expressed. This morning we're going to uh, look at another important faith-building block. In fact, I can tell you this. If Jesus Christ were our guest speaker this morning, I guarantee you, 100%, bet the farm that he would teach on this topic that I'm going to teach on this morning. And it's the topic of evangelism. And the reason that I say that with confidence that Jesus would preach on that is because of a statement that he made in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where he said, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. No, that's why he came. That was his whole purpose. He, He came to reach the lost, those who are far from God. Any parents with us today? How many parents we have out there? Question, parents, have you ever been in a public place, maybe with a lot of people, and it, suddenly you turned around at one point and didn't see your child or didn't see your, your children. Has that ever happened? Yeah, me neither. Yeah, so, uh, but, but no, seriously. Okay, at that point, that has to be one of the scariest things a parent could ever experience, right? I mean, if you're at a restaurant, you're not, you're not hungry anymore. You don't care about eating. If you're at the mall, you, whatever you went there to buy, you're, you don't care about that anymore. You are focused in on one thing and one thing alone. And that is finding your child, right? I mean, you know, if Sue and I were at the mall sometime and, you know, say, you know, Kyle wandered off, you know, and Sue would say, well, where's Kyle? I said, don't worry, honey, we still got four kids. 80% ain't bad. One less pair of underwear to fold, one less Christmas present to buy. We're good, right? Is that how you respond? No, no. When you've lost someone, all of a sudden, nothing else matters at that point. Nothing else matters. In that moment, in that moment, even the rest of your kids aren't that important to you, right? You're wanting to find that one lost child in the same way. Here's my point. In the same way, our Heavenly Father is always distracted by the lost one. And that preoccupation is clearly demonstrated in the Bible in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 tells us three parables. Three parables. Parable about a lost sheep. A shepherd had 100 sheep and one wandered off. And the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. A lost coin, the parable of a lost coin. A woman had 10 very precious coins. She lost one and basically turned the house up, 
Why? She still had nine. No, 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 no. She turned that house upside down until she found that one coin. And after that, threw a party, invited her friends to throw a party because she found that coin because it was so precious to her. And then the third parable was the parable of a lost son, the prodigal son, where one son wandered off before coming to his senses and coming back home where the father was looking for and anticipating his return. Here's the point. Doesn't matter if it's one out of 100, one out of 10, or one out of two. God is all about seeking the lost finding the lost. Always, always, always. And that's what we should be all about as well. So why do we share our faith? Let's answer this. This, this is the obvious question. Why do we share our faith? Why do we share our faith? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, because this is our calling in life. I don't know if you knew that or not, but this is our calling. See, this is how this works. Before we come to know Jesus, our whole life is about finding Jesus. After we find Jesus, our whole life is about sharing Jesus. And that right there in a nutshell is Christianity. Before we get come to know Jesus, our whole life is about finding him. After we come to find him, our whole life is about sharing him with others. Over 43 years in public ministry, still, far and away, the most common question people ask me is, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? So if you have that question, I'm going to answer it for you. This is your morning. Matthew 5.13. This is the message paraphrase. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Just like we use salt to make things taste better, so also are you to live your life in a way that makes the gospel more appealing to others. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. Two very interesting metaphors that Jesus used here to describe our influence in the world. What's interesting to me about it is both of these metaphors can have the opposite effect if not used properly. You think about it, right? You take a thing of salt, you dump the whole thing on there, you're not going to eat it. It's ruined it, right? In, in a similar way, light, you know, light can be, because remember, when we're talking about witnessing, we're talking to people who've been walking in darkness. Anyone ever been to a matinee movie during the summer and you walk out afterwards, it's like, whoa, sun just about blinds you. It's kind of the same, it's kind of the same deal. Salt, salt is used sparingly. It's best used sparingly. It, salt has a more subtle internal influence. Think of the line from that movie, Remember the Titans, Coach Boone telling Coach Yost about his offense. He says, I run six plays, I run six plays, split beer like Novocaine. Just give it time, it always works. Salt always works. Just give it time. Just give it time. Salt, salt. Salt's a more subtle influence. Light, on the other hand, is, a mo is more of an overt influence. But it too needs to be used properly because remember, we're talking with people, most of the time we're talking with people who've been walking in darkness. So you don't want to turn a floodlight on them right away, right? If, you're not, if, if light's not used properly, it can be as subtle as a sledgehammer. So Matthew 5, Jesus continues here. Why are we here? He says, we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, everyone, everyone should say this next word with me. Shine. That's why we're here. We're supposed to shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Doesn't happen real often, but occasionally I'll hear someone say, Make a comment like, you know, my faith is between, you know, that's a private matter between me and God. 
And when I hear people say that, I always ask him, I said, hey, did you ask God about that? And I'm not being facetious, I'm just being very honest. Well, my face between me and God, it's a, it's a private matter. Really? Have you told God that? Because I think God would disagree with you. You know, that may be your opinion, but that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says our faith is supposed to be very public, very public. Why do we share our faith? Because this is our calling. We also share our faith because people need the Lord. I mean, that's kind of you know, obvious, right? People need the Lord. People can't go to heaven without Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one. Everyone say no one. No one. And he means no one comes to the Father or goes to heaven except through Jesus. I think sometimes us Christians are guilty of forgetting that heaven and hell are real places. Heaven and hell are real places. And in case you didn't know this, let me remind you that at Family Church, we believe that people live forever because they do. Not physically, not physically, right? But spiritually, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. People's eternal lives are weighing in the balance. John 3, 17, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. One time, Jesus and his disciples crossed paths with a man who had been blind from birth. But rather than being concerned about the guy's physical handicap, the disciples, this is interesting, the disciples started debating about why the guy was blind. And then that's kind of because of how people thought back then. People thought there was this cause and effect between, you know, people's behavior and, 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 and God. And like, you know, if someone had some kind of physical infirmity, well, they must have done something bad. So that's why they were like that. And, and so that's what the disciples were thinking here as they come across this blind guy and they start debating among themselves. I wonder why he's like that. Now watch, watch what Jesus, watch how Jesus addresses this. John 9, verses 1 to 3. Walking down the street, Jesus, he's with his disciples, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Now watch Jesus' response here. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. So Jesus rejects the theological speculation and dialogue that the disciples wanted to engage in and says, hey, forget all that stuff. Forget all that. It's time to do the work of God. What's the work of God? Things like healing blind people, setting oppressed people free, caring for people. First thing I want to point out in the story is if we're not careful, we can get sidetracked by religion and fall into the same trap that the disciples did. We start getting sidetracked by, you know, why a person's, you know, in the condition that they're, uh, man, you must have, they must have really been making some poor choices. Well, obviously, right? Reminds me of the parable John Maxwell tells about a guy who fell into a pit. A guy fell into a pit one day, and all throughout the afternoon, different people would kind of wander by. First person that wandered by was a subjective person, and they came along and looked down there at the guy and said, I feel for you down there. A little bit later, an objective person came along, looked down there and said, you know, it's logical that someone would fall into that pit. Third person, a little bit later, a Christian scientist came along, looked down there and said, you only think you're in a pit. A little bit later, a Pharisee came walking along and said, only bad people fall into pits. A little bit later, a news reporter came along and wanted an exclusive story on how he fell into the pit. Then a fundamentalist came along and said, you deserve to fall into this pit. Then a Calvinist came along and said, if you had been saved, you wouldn't have fallen into the pit. And then a Wesleyan came along and said, you know, you're saved, but you still fell into the pit. 
And then a word of faith charismatic person came along and said, just confess that it's not a pit. <laughs> then an IRS, an IRS agent came along and asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. And then a realist came along and said, now that's a pit. Then a self-pitying person came along and said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. Then an optimist came along and said, things could be worse. Then a pessimist came along and said, things will get worse. <laughs> then Jesus came along and reached down into the pit, grabbed the man by the hand, and lifted him out. Our job isn't to debate how or why someone ended up where they're at. Our job is to welcome them, love them, and encourage them as they look to Jesus, the great physician for healing. At Family Church, I'm telling you, we don't care how you ended up where you're at. We just want to help you get back on track with God. That's all we want for you. We don't care how you got where you're at. That's not important right now. What's important is going forward. But this miracle posed a problem for the Pharisees. They couldn't deny that the guy was healed, but they didn't want to believe that Jesus was the one who healed him because it was on the Sabbath. And of course, they had this hang-up about you know, doing miracles on the Sabbath. So they did what all religious people do. They got all religious on him, and they said, there's no way God could have healed him because it took place on the Sabbath. So they go to the guy's parents. They go to the blind man's parents, and they ask them, who healed your son? And see, they know what's going on here. They know what's going to happen. If they say Jesus, they're going to be excommunicated. So they, 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 they roll it back on them and say, hey, he's old enough. Our son's old enough. You go ask him. They roll it back on the Pharisees. You go ask him. So they did. So the Pharisees went and asked the guy. Not once, but two different times, they go and interrogate him. And then finally, this guy begins to realize, these guys are upset because I'm healed. They don't like it that I'm seeing. So he gets a little edgy with them. Finally, he goes, hey, how come you're asking all these questions? Do you want to serve him too? Oh, that would have burned the Pharisees so bad. <laughs> how come you're at, you, you, want to, you want to be his disciples too? But then finally, this is what he says. This is what he says. And this is a great answer, by the way. He says, look, all I know is I was once blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. That's a great answer, folks. I've been walking with God for almost 50 years. I got four years of undergraduate degree, two years of seminary graduate studies in Bible and theology. Folks, I still get questions that I can't answer sometimes. You know, there was a time that used to upset me, so I'd try to fake it and answer it. Don't do that. That doesn't go well. That doesn't go well at all. I've learned over the years that, you know what, if you don't have the answers, don't, don't try and come up with one. Just be honest. You know what, that's a great question. I don't have the answer to that. I'm going to see if I can find out. But all I, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. I, I just see life so much clearer now that Jesus has come into my life. That's all you got to say. That's all you got to say. Why do we share our faith? Because this is our calling, because people need the Lord. And then thirdly, we're to share our faith because people want the Lord. They really do. People want the Lord. They may not realize it, but I truly believe people really want the Lord. Even the so-called self-proclaimed atheists who say they don't believe in God. No, even, even they're on a spiritual journey. They don't realize it, but they are. They, they may say they don't believe in God, but they can't do anything about the fact that they're made in the image of God, and there's a piece of God inside of them that they can't do anything about. They can't get away from. We sang that song, I've got a heart that beats for you. I've got a heart that beats for you. All of us. Listen, dear ones, all of us have a homing device inside of us that beeps for God. And it's going to continue to beep until God feels that. Here's how Solomon described it. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has also said eternity in the human heart, which means there are going to be times that they're going to think about God whether they believe it or not. They can't escape the, the fact that the thumbprint of God is on their life. And we all have a spiritual homing device inside us that beeps for God. We share our faith because this is our calling, because people need the Lord and because people want the Lord. Now, here's the problem. Statistics say that 52% of people will never step foot inside this church or any church for that matter. 52% of people will never step inside a church. Doesn't matter how welcoming the church is. Doesn't matter how good the worship is. Doesn't matter how great the sermons are. I'm going to give you another chance on that. 52% of people won't ever step inside of a church. That's what statistics say. Doesn't matter how cool the worship is. Doesn't matter how welcoming people are. Doesn't matter how fantastic the sermons are. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously. How are we going to reach them? If over one out of every two people will never step inside the church, how are we going to reach them? Jesus told us by being salt and light. Being salt and light. So let me give you three ways that we can be salt and light. First First way that we can be salt and light, recognize the moments God gives you. I'm talking about those divinely orchestrated events that God will bring your way every day and is bringing your way every day. You're just not seeing them. You're just not seeing them. Start looking for them because God will bring them your way. And I'll give you, I'll tell you one good way that you can invite these evangelism moments into, in, into uh, your, your daily routine. Wear some of your family church merch. Wear your shirt. Wear your cap. I had... Uh, follow-up, six-week follow-up appointment for my shoulder surgery this past week, and I had a family church shirt on, and so they always take an x-ray first before they take you in to see the doctor or the PA, and it was a young gal, and she she asked about my family church shirt, and and so I told her that I was a pastor, you know, in Wellsville, and and the cool things that God was doing here. By the way, did I tell you guys that I brag on you every chance I get? (laughs) I do. I brag on you every chance I get, so I'm telling her about the cool things that God was doing here, and and she said, yeah, she used to go to church, but then when she went to college, she kind of got out of the habit, probably a similar story that many of you could share, but she said she kind of got out of the habit of going to church, so you know what? I said, you know what? You're going to split hell wide open if you don't start going to church. No, I didn't say that. Uh, I, I, I just encouraged her. I said, you know, I said, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a good time to, you know, to give God a chance again. Maybe start going back to church. You don't have to, look, you don't have to lead him to the Lord right then every time. The Bible's very clear. Evangelism's an agricultural process. You plant the seeds, you water the seeds, and then there's a harvest time. Now, can God do instantaneous miracles? Yes. I've seen it happen where someone prayed to receive the Lord right then, but that's the exception. That's not the norm. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. God, I'm telling you, dear ones, God will create and orchestrate the moments. We just need to look for them, recognize those moments, and step into them when when they come. Refocus on the manner in which you live. Refocus on the manner in which you live. Recognize the moments God gives you, and then refocus on the manner in which you live. You know, research tells us that your attitude... This is interesting. Your attitude can impact your, cir- your circle of influence as far out as friends of friends of friends. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of scary when you think about it. Your life, your attitude can, infect, can affect your circle of friends as far out as friends of friends of friends, which is all the more reason why we need to pray that God would give us the fruit of the Spirit so we can have the right attitude in our lives each day. Be positive, not negative. 
and I, I, I don't need to say a whole lot on this. You guys get on social media. You know, you know we're living in a day and age where the world seems to thrive on negativity and people are just looking for a reason to be offended. So don't be that person. Don't be that person. Be positive, not negative. And then the third thing, seek common ground, not battleground. We would be much better served if we learned to connect with the lost, don't correct the lost. Connect with the lost, don't correct the lost. If you were to ask an unchurched person, think about this. If you were to ask an unchurched person what they thought of when they thought about church, I guarantee you in their top 20, in their top 30, in their top 50 answers would not be, you know what, when I think of the church, I think of unconditional love. No. It's not going to be in their top 50 answers. I guarantee you, guaranteed, they're lost, right? With no connection, there's no correction. And by the way, why are we trying to correct them anyway? What, what are we correcting them from? Lost is lost. It's not correct lost and incorrect lost. It's like J.C. Hibbert, the evangelist, used to say. People say, well, I'm, 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 I'm afraid, I'm scared to, to testify and, and share Jesus with others because I'm afraid I might scare them. He said, what are you afraid of scaring them to? Hell number two? They're already going to hell. Paul set the example for us. 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak, not physically, but spiritually, mentally, ethically, morally, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, I might save some. In other words, their perspective, not my perspective. Their perspective. Now, you know, we don't have to believe or accept their views or position, but we do need to hear them out. We need to try to understand, which leads to our main idea for this week's message. And here it is. Y'all thought I forgot, but I didn't. Here it is. Write this down. Here's our main idea. I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. And Paul was a master at this. In fact, one time while he was visiting the ancient city of, of Athens, Greece, a very secular city full of idol worship, he struck up a conversation with some of these idol worshipers. But I want you to look closely at his opening line to these pagan idol worshipers. He doesn't come in there and say, y'all, a bunch of heathen sinners are going to split hell wide open. No, watch, watch how he approaches this conversation. Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus, outdoor amphitheater is what it was, and laid out for them, it is plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. So he found something to compliment them before he, he tried to connect with them before he corrected them. Yeah, they might have been worshiping false gods, Man, I got to hand it to you. At least you're passionate about it. I mean, it's misguided, but man, I got to give it to you. You guys are passionate about this. When I arrived here, he said, the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed, to the God nobody knows. Now, please note, he didn't accept or agree with what these misguided folks were doing. He's letting them know how impressed he is with their passion for worship. He said, in fact, y'all are so committed to getting this worship thing right in order to have all your bases covered. I see that you worship a God that nobody knows his name just to make sure you have everything, all your bases covered. Paul seizes upon that to introduce them to Jesus. Because he said, let me tell you about this unknown God. Because I know him. That's brilliant, folks. That's brilliant. 
Let, 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 me, tell you, let me tell you about this, this unknown God. And he proceeds to do that. Proceeds to do that. So connect. Don't correct the lost. Continues on. I'm here to introduce you to this God, verse, verse 23, Acts 17, so you can worship intelligently, know who you're dealing with. Note how Paul led into this conversation with patience, not pressing. He just kind of, you know, was waiting around for that opportunity. You know, he, he obviously was, was aware of what was going on. And as soon as he saw that open door, he seized on it. Don't underestimate the power of patience when it comes to evangelism. People don't need to get saved the first time you share Jesus with them. Again, that, that's, the, that's the exception, not the norm. My sister prayed for me and others were praying for me for years before I finally came to the Lord. So, but, so don't let impatience or frustration affect your attitude. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. We don't have to be like them to reach them, but we do have to like them to reach them. So how are we salt and light? Recognize the moments that God gives you. Refocus on the manner in which you live. And then third, relay the message of hope to a broken world. How do we do this? We just tell our story. We just tell our story. And I'm telling you, people that are good at this, people that are good at witnessing, if you go with Dennis Kickler sometime and, and, and watch as he just ministers. The key is they just tell their story. You just tell your story. See, there was a time that, you know, I'd get all bent out of shape. Someone would ask me a question I couldn't answer, and then I'd get, you know, and I'd try and come up with some, you know, stupid answer. No, 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 no. Just stay with what you know. Stay with what, because if you venture up beyond what you know, besides, that's what you're going to be able to share with the greatest amount of passion and conviction. You know what Jesus did for you, right? A few months ago, we did a short series titled Change Your World, and at the end of the message, I challenged everyone to write out a three-minute version of your testimony, and I, some of you did, and, and, and I appreciate you doing that. If you didn't, I would encourage you to do so. I write out a three-minute version of your testimony, and you use these two things as your guideline to guide you through that writing. What my life used to look like before coming to Christ, what your life used to look like before coming to Christ, and then how you recognize your need for that. In my case, I was working as a freelance unlicensed pharmacist, self-medicating, living a reckless and selfish life that led me down a dark path that almost destroyed my life. That's when I realized that rock bottom actually had a basement. My life had become so out of control, I ended up in a situation where I honestly could have not have gotten any lower. So just talk about where you were. Now, some of your stories, they're not going to have as many life-controlling issues as my head, but we all have a story. You have a story. Talk about what your life looked like before Christ. And then the second part, what my life looks like now, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. After surrendering my life to Jesus, he slowly began to turn my life around, give me purpose and hope. But be honest in this part. Be honest because people aren't dumb. Share about how serving Jesus won't exempt you from tragedy and heartbreak. What it will do is give you hope in the midst of your tragedy and heartbreak. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Apostle Paul says, And now, dear brothers, I want you to know what happens to a Christian when he dies, so that when it happens, you will not be full of sorrow as those who have no hope. See, Christians have sorrow. We just, we're just not full of sorrow, right? We cry and grieve, but we don't cry and grieve like those who, who don't have any hope. There's a difference. First two times I tried witnessing to people. By the way, I'm going to share this story with you. Promise don't tell you. You promise you won't tell anyone? Because I'm embarrassed about this story, but promise you you won't tell anyone, and I'll share this story with you. First two times I tried witnessing to people, I crashed and burned big time. I mean big, and it wasn't pretty. One time I was talking to a gal at Dairy Queen, 
And of course, it was during lunch hour. That was probably my first clue. I shouldn't have tried, you know, when she was so busy. But the, the thing I remember most about that is at one point, she looked at me and she said, it's not that I don't believe this, it's that I don't believe that you believe it. And I got so burnt by that. That so toasted me that later that day, I went back to my dorm room. And I said, God, I know what your word says, but I ain't doing this. I ain't doing this. I'm not good at it. I know what your word says, but I'm not doing this, and you can't make me. I did. I don't know why. I guess I was feeling strong that day. I don't know. But I did. I said, God, I'm not doing this. And I I was just speaking out of it. I was so burnt by that. I said, no more. I'm not going to do this anymore. And you can't make me. Well, one of the things I learned from that is don't ever tell God you can't make me. (laughs) But I finally, I, I said, God, and besides, can't I go to heaven without witnessing? And I'll never forget it. It was silent for a minute. And then I felt like God said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you can go to heaven without witnessing. And you too, he, you, you too, you can, you can go to heaven without witnessing. But then, then I heard him say this, but this isn't about you. This isn't just about you. So I want to leave you with this quote by Corey Ten Boom about heaven. She said, when I enter that beautiful city and the saints all around me appear, I hope that someone will tell me it was you who invited me here. On your chair, underneath your chair, there should have been a piece of paper printing on both sides titled, Jesus Changed My Life. It's a self-explanatory two categories of words describing how you saw yourself before coming to Jesus and then after coming to Jesus And you're going to ask yourself the question, what was I like without you? And then you're going to circle appropriate words on that list. If there aren't any appropriate words, there's some blanks there you can fill in. Then you're going to ask yourself, who am I now that you've changed my life? And again, you're going to circle the appropriate words 